Throughout history, there has always been prejudice, because generally people tend to fall under a certain label. They might be labeled according to the country that they come from. They might be labeled according to the color of their skin or the religion that they follow. They might be labeled according to their social class, what type of job they work at, or how much money that they have. There can also be social prejudices as well, where people might be uh, a victim of prejudice because of their social status in life, the family that they were born into, or the community in which they live. We have biblical examples of prejudice. We have the publicans, that is the tax collectors, and the harlots who were uh, considered to be a different social class from the rest of society. We have the scribes and the Pharisees, the so-called religious leaders, and they would have nothing to do with the tax men. They didn't want to be associated with them. And we can all give examples of prejudice in our own society today. Uh, We can, in fact, see our society becoming more divided as the years progress. But why do we have prejudice? Why do some people differentiate between themselves and other people? Well, one of uh, these reasons is pride. Some people think that they are better than other people. They wouldn't want to sit at that table with those people. They wouldn't want to go to that house with, those, uh, with that group of people. They, want to, they wouldn't want to live in that area with those people. And sadly, pride is a sin where we think that we are better than other people. A social study was done by one minister. He went to one church one week. He dressed very well, very presentably. He got a very warm welcome from everybody who was there. And after the service, he had a number of offers for lunch, people looking to provide Christian hospitality for him. The next week, the same minister went to the same church dressed as a homeless man. He put on rough clothes, didn't shave for a number of days, and maybe skipped a shower that morning as well. Well, the welcome was not as friendly. He didn't have anybody come to shake his hand, and he didn't receive a single offer for lunch. Why the difference? He was the same man. It was because of prejudice, because of his perceived social status. Despite knowing the true theology that Christ can save all types of people, we quite often struggle to practice it. Too often, if we're honest, we can confess that we can be like the priest and the Levite who pass by on the other side and not like the Good Samaritan to help our neighbor. There's a group of uh, churches And they say, you can't preach Christ to everybody. You can only preach Christ to sensible sinners, to those who know their need of salvation. You can't freely offer Christ in the gospel to all men. Well, the problem with only offering the Lord Jesus Christ to sensible sinners is that there's no such thing as a sensible sinner. There's no such thing as one who is sensible and knows their need of salvation. We all love our sin. We all cling to our sin. Sadly, there are those who 
would think that there are certain sections of society that we shouldn't bother reaching with the gospel. We shouldn't reach out to those individuals. They wouldn't want the gospel. Or maybe deep in our heart, we're thinking, we don't really want the gospel to go to them. I think I maybe told you the story before of one of our contacts in Nigeria. He was handing out Bibles, and a Muslim woman came up to him and asked for a Bible. And the man said, I can't give you a Bible. If I give you a Bible, you'll get in in trouble with your husband. So she wanted a Bible, but he didn't want to give her one. And in the end, she said, if you give me a Bible, I promise I will take it and I will hide it and my husband will not find it. The end of the story was that her husband came home early from work one day and he found his wife's Bible on the bed. And he came downstairs and he said to her, where did you get this Christian Bible? Can you get me one too? Because I want to read the word of God. So two instances of prejudice there. First of all, the Christian didn't want to give the Muslim woman the Bible. Secondly, the Muslim woman thought that she would have to hide the Bible from her husband because he would be angry. But it turns out the Muslim woman and her husband both had a desire to receive the word of God. Sadly, we can even develop prejudice in who we bring the gospel to. Now, the disciples were certainly guilty of prejudice, Whenever people brought children to the Lord Jesus Christ to bless them, the disciples chased them away. The disciples were also guilty of telling the blind people to be quiet, who were calling out for Christ to give them attention and to heal them. And the disciples also argued as to who would be the greatest in heaven, doubting that their brother would have a greater seat than them. We're all guilty of prejudice. We can try and deny it. But we have to confess, it lies within all of our hearts. There's only one person who's ever lived in this world who has never been guilty of being prejudiced against another person or group of people. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the sins of all men. He was able to see past their outward appearance. He was able to see past their perceived beliefs. He knew everything about them in his divinity. He knew all about them. And he knew that every single person he encountered, regardless of whether they came from high society or low society, regardless of whether they were Jew or Gentile, regardless of whether they were a religious leader or a harlot, he knew that they all had this one thing in common. They were all damned if they died without him. If they died outside of faith in Christ, he knew they would all be lost in hell for all eternity. So the Lord Jesus Christ made no difference in the people that were in front of him. He had a soul winner's heart, desiring that they would all come to faith in him. Well, in our passage tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to meet this woman at the well. In his divinity, he knows she will come. The Holy Spirit reveals uh, her to his humanity. He knows who she is. He knows all about her sin. And instead of being careful about his own reputation and saying, well, I better not associate alone with that woman because who knows what people might say about me. No, the Lord leaves all the prejudice behind 
And he sees before him a dear, precious soul, a soul that will live for all eternity. And he leaves aside all prejudice and cares and worries of what other people will think. And he has a desire to reach this woman with the gospel so that she can be saved, so she can be in heaven, and so she can avoid a lost eternity in hell. Let's look at the woman at the well. Three things tonight. First of all, let's look at the sinner exposed. The sinner exposed. First of all, notice her nationality. Verse 7 says, she was a woman of Samaria. Now, you might be confused tonight whenever you read in verse 12, because it says, our father Jacob. You may be wondering, well, was she a Jew or was she not? She calls Jacob her father. Well, the Samaritans were those who were from the ten tribes who were taken into captivity, but They married non-Jews. They married Gentiles. So these people were not able to trace their Jewish roots back. Verse 9, it says, The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now that doesn't mean that they shun the Samaritans, that they ignore them. No, they were quite happy to do business with them, to trade with them. They were quite happy to pass through Samaria. But it means that they didn't eat or drink. They didn't have intimacy with them in the sense of fellowship and friendship. It was a very cordial relationship without too much involvement and personal interaction. So this woman of Samaria is shocked that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to associate with her in a way that she is not familiar with, in a way that is contrary to the to the practice that the Jews have adopted to the Samaritans for generations. The Jews would be shocked to think that their Savior was bringing the message of salvation to a Samaritan woman. They were shocked to think that salvation might actually go beyond the borders of Israel. Perhaps we might have prejudice like this. Perhaps we might be shocked to think that the gospel might actually go to a Muslim country, that it might actually go to a Roman Catholic country and have effect. There's, sadly, there's some people and they've no interest in taking the gospel to their Muslim neighbor, to their Hindi neighbor, to their Roman Catholic neighbor. No interest in reaching out to the different nationalities, the different religions of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ did. He went into Samaria, and he didn't pick a a righteous or a holy person to reach. He picked one of the biggest sinners in that place. Notice, secondly, the nature of the woman here. We thought of her nationality. Think of her nature. Verses 17 Uh, To 18 says, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. So, the nature of the woman is that she was a carnal, lustful woman. That is the nature of the woman. Not able to hold a stable relationship, perhaps guilty of committing adultery, 
and uh, taking another woman's husband. Without going into that too much tonight, we see that this, uh, that this woman comes along at midday. And now, that's midday our time. The uh, clock in the Bible runs differently. Uh, zero o'clock is our 6 a.m. So whenever it says that she's coming at this time of the day, we, it would be our midday that she's coming. But we're told by uh, historians that women used to come in the morning to draw out water. And the women used to come in a group. They didn't come by themselves. They came collectively as a group to gather the water that they needed for the rest of the day. But why is this woman coming by herself six hours later than the rest of the women? Well, it's probably that this woman was an outcast of society. She was probably treated in the same way that harlots were uh, because of her promiscuous and sinful lifestyle. She didn't come with the other women. She had to come by herself. This is the nature of the woman that Christ is dealing with, a sinful woman. You know, the Lord Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Whenever the Lord Jesus commenced his ministry, one of the groups that he identified with were the publicans and the harlots, and he was criticized for this. His enemies called him a friend of sinners because he was. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't care about a person's social status, their financial status. He cared about their soul, the nature of this woman, a sinful woman. And we're all sinful. There is none righteous. We have all broken God's law. Oh, we might say, well, I'm not like that woman. I wouldn't live such an immoral lifestyle. But dear friends, in our hearts and in our lives, we're all guilty of sins. It doesn't matter how you rank them. Sin is sin with God. You might have a, a chart of what is terrible sin and what is not so bad sin. But in the eyes of God, it's all sin. God does not discriminate his punishment when it comes to sin. We're all like this woman. It's only our sins are different. We all thirst after the waters of sinful indulgence. Notice also about this woman, her ignorance of spiritual truth. Verse 11, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? She perhaps thinks that it is some special water that Christ is able to draw. She perhaps thinks that he knows about some secret with the well whereby the water can uh, magically appear. She's unaware of the spiritual message that Christ is conveying to her. Christ is bringing the gospel to her, and she misses it. She's unaware. There's a great contrast in this chapter with the previous chapter. In chapter 3, we have Nicodemus, a religious leader, a self-righteous uh, man. And then in, the, in chapter 4 here, we have a woman who uh, lives a very different lifestyle from Nicodemus. She's uh, not a religious leader. She's one of the outcasts of society. But the two have the exact same thing in common. Nicodemus and the woman at the well, they both fail to grasp the simplicity of the gospel message that Christ presents 
to them. What we see here in these two individuals is that Christ receives all types of sinners. The self-righteous Pharisee, religious leader in Nicodemus, the sinful woman and the woman at the well. Whenever we read in Scripture of the phrase, all men, whenever it says he came to call all men unto him, it's referring to all types of people, all classes of people, all nationalities of men. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to call the rich. He didn't come just to call the poor. He didn't come just to call the Western world. He came to call all men unto him. All men, all types of men. Notice her interest in Christ. Verse 9. She is amazed that he's talking to her. Then saith the woman of Samaria, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Well, that was the least of her problems, that she was from Samaria. But how is it? She was amazed. And in verse 11, she wants to know more. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. She goes on. She wants to know more about the living water. Sometimes we can present the gospel to people and tell them of their sin and tell them that Christ is a willing and able saviour. But they put their hand up and say, don't talk to me anymore. Or they walk away. Or they, they tune out in a meeting. But this woman has an interest. She wants to know more. She wants to know more about him. She wants to know more about his message. The Lord has opened her heart to receive the gospel. And dear friend, that is the most precious thing. The people I fear for are the people who sit week after week and hear the gospel proclaimed to them simply and plainly and yet walk out the door careless and ignorant. There are people in the world today and we have the joy of having great contact with them And they hear the gospel for the first time. They read a gospel tract or a gospel of John for the first time. And they come to Christ and come to faith in him. But there's people in Ulster today. And they sit in church Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And with each time they hear the gospel, their heart gets harder and harder. Once they were affected by the preaching of the gospel, once it troubled them and kept them up at night, once it caused tears to roll down their cheeks, but now they sit week by week, unaffected by Christ and the preaching of Him crucified. The hardening of your heart, dear friend, will be the damnation of your soul. This woman was open. To receive the gospel. Open to receive Christ. And you must be too. Not only did she have an interest in him. He had an interest in her. Christ had an interest in her. If he didn't. He never would have stopped at the well. He would have gone on in with the disciples. It's not that this woman has cornered him pestered him. No. He has an interest in her. That's why he is there. And Christ has an interest in the salvation of sinners. That's why he left heaven. 
That's why he lived for 33 years upon this earth. That's why he obeyed the law of God perfectly. And dear friends, that's why he went to the cross of Calvary. Because he has an interest in sinners, an interest in saving sinners, an interest in dying for their sin, an interest in shedding his blood so that they can be saved, an interest in reconciling them to God. Christ has an interest. And dear friend, can I be personal tonight? He, he has an interest in you. You might be sitting here tonight thinking, what does God care about me? About my life? About the work that I do? The school that I go to? The friends I hang out with? The things that I watch on TV? The hobbies that I enjoy? What does God have an interest in me? He does have an interest in you because he made you. He gave you life. He sustains you every day. The breath that you have in your lungs this very second is from God. The food that you have in your table is from God. The fact that you have been born into a Christian country with a gospel preaching heritage is a fact that God has an interest in you. He cares. He cares so much he sent his son. He cares so much that he gave you a book detailing him, detailing you, detailing salvation. God cares. God cares. Christ cared about that woman at Samaria. He went out of his way to meet with her. And dear friend, if Christ were here today, he would take that personal interest in you. But he has set aside this day for you to come and worship him. He set aside this time for you to be under the preaching of his gospel. Christ has an interest. This woman had sin that was to be exposed. And dear friend, we have that same sin. Now it might not be exposed publicly like this woman's was. But you know your sin. You know your disobedience against God. But the biggest sin that you might have here tonight is the sin of unbelief. The sin of Christ's rejection. Oh, we can go into all the moral sins of the day. But the biggest sin that you have is your sin of refusing Christ. Your sin of making an idol out of yourself. The sin of creating your own religion where you maybe say, Oh, God will have mercy upon me. My good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and God will let me into heaven. No, dear friend, that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Your sin has separated you from God. Your sin, God will expose on that day of judgment if you don't repent and come to Christ before then. Well, moving on. Well, firstly, I'm going to be a bit quicker. We've thought of the sinner exposed. Secondly, let's think of the Savior exalted. First of all, we have his condescension here. In verse 9, the Savior condescends to speak to the woman. That's a remarkable thing, that he would speak to her. He condescended to speak to this woman of Samaria. And it was a thing that wasn't practiced or wasn't done. And that was a great condescension. But I tell you that a greater condescension happened. Whenever Christ left heaven and condescended to come into the world, that was the greatest condescension that ever happened in history. That God the Son 
would take upon himself a human body and a real humanity and live amongst sinners is the miracle of all miracles. The angels in heaven gazed in wonder the day that Emmanuel left heaven and came to this world. What a condescension. Whenever somebody does something noble for their country, they get honored. They might get an MBE, an OBE, a knighthood. They might get a medal, or they might even get a statue. For the Lord Jesus Christ came to do something, not just for one country, but for all countries. Not just for one group of people, but for all people. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners from the flames of hell. And how did he get honored? They arrested him. They crucified him. They killed him. That's the honor that he got from this world. His condescension was to save, but he was rejected by wicked men. Notice his willingness in verse 10. He offers her salvation. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Willing to give her the living water. Willing to give her salvation. He offers salvation to her without prejudice. He doesn't say, you're, you're a Samaritan, I can't do that. He doesn't say, you're a harlot, I can't do that. No, he gives her salvation. And dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ offers the same salvation to you tonight. He's willing to give you the same salvation that he imparted to this woman. I venture to say that if I stood in the streets of Market Hill offering everybody 50 pounds, I would have a crowd gathered and probably some people coming back two or three times in order to try and get that 50 pound note. But here the Lord Jesus Christ offers something greater. He offers to Market Hill tonight something greater than a 50 pound note. He offers you a full salvation. It's full, it's complete. You don't need to do anything else. He offers you a free salvation. You don't need to do anything to earn it. It's free to you. He offers you an eternal salvation. To be with him in heaven for all eternity. Notice his divinity in verse 18. He knows every detail about this woman. The Holy Spirit revealed to Christ's humanity all the details that he needed to know. He knew everything about her. But can I say, dear friend... That the Lord Jesus Christ knows everything about you. Everything about your life. He knew the very second you were born. He knows the moment that you will die. He knows the very hairs in your head. He knows everything about you. If you go to a doctor, well, you might not be able to see a disease in yourself, but a doctor can. They'll do an x-ray. They'll do an MRI. They'll do a blood test. They'll be able to to see the goings-on of your body. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friend, He knows the goings-on of your soul. He knows if you're his. He knows if you're saved. And he knows if you're lost. What a solemn thing. You might fool yourself. Or you might fool your family. You might fool your friends. But he knows the true condition of your heart. I think it was John Newton. We sang one of his hymns earlier. He says there's going to be a number of surprises in heaven. He says, the first surprise, there's going to be people there that we never expected to be there. He says, there's going to be people not there that we thought were there. There are going to be surprises. The Lord knows your heart. 
Some people try to minimize the person of Christ. Some people might say, well, I'll get to heaven, but I don't need him. I'll just be good. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Remember, Adam committed one sin in the garden, and he lost paradise. And you've committed more than one sin. That's keeping you out of heaven. Thirdly and finally, and I'll just finish with this all. We thought of the sinner exposed, the Savior exalted. Let's think of the salvation experienced. Notice in verse 6, the compassion of Christ. It says, Jesus, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. He waited at the well for that woman. He was weary. He could have said, I'm hungry. I'll go on into the city and get food. No, it was the heat of the day. He waited for that woman to come to him. What compassion he had on her. And dear friend, I tell you tonight, he has the same compassion for your soul. The Bible tells us he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you can put your name in that. He's not willing that you should perish, but that he's willing that you would come to repentance. Remember, this is the Savior who wept over the city of Jerusalem. That city that in a matter of days would arrest him and crucify him. He wept over them. And dear friend, I venture to say that if the Savior were here tonight, he would weep over your lost soul too. He wept over sinners. Notice the grace that he conveyed in verse 14. He said, but whosoever drinketh. He doesn't say if the Jews drink, they'll be saved. No, the whosoever The woman didn't have to doubt. Is it for me? The Lord left it open. The whosoever will, they can come and take of the water of life freely. They can be saved. They can be forgiven. They can be redeemed. They can have a home in heaven. The whosoever. And if you're maybe sitting here tonight saying, can I come to Christ? Can I believe in Christ? Can I be saved? Can I be converted? Yes, dear friend, you can. The whosoever drinketh. The whosoever takes of the salvation that Christ freely offers, they will be saved. Notice the response of the woman. Verse 15, give me this water. She doesn't say you're lying. You're pulling the wool over my eyes. This is another false religion, another cult. You're just trying to get your own uh, people to follow you. I'm not falling for those shenanigans. No. She says, give me this water. Give me. I believe. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the only Savior. Give me this water. Dear friend, have you said to Christ, give me thy salvation. Give me mercy. Give me the forgiveness of sins. Give me the assurance of heaven. Give me peace with God. Have you said that? Give me. It's not wrong to say give me. He offers it to you. All you have to do is take it. Give me. Give me. We see the confession of the woman. Verse 19, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Christ is the prophet. All the other prophets pointed to him. He is the word of God. The fulfillment of all the prophecies. Verse 29, the woman goes on to say, Is not this the Christ? I have found him whom my soul loves, my Savior, my Redeemer. (coughs) The one 
who Scripture points us to. Christ says to her in verse 26, I am He. I am your Savior. I am your Messiah. Today I'm in front of you. I offer to you salvation, full and free. I am He. Well, dear friends, I finish with that. Christ says, I am He. Where else will you find salvation? You'll not find it yourselves. You'll not find it in good works. You'll not find it in the entertainments and vanities of this life. No, look at all the celebrities with the money and the power they have. They're utterly miserable. A Christian is the only one who knows that true happiness and joy, contentment in their life, because Christ gives them his salvation. He says to you tonight, I am he. He says to you tonight, I offer you salvation, the water of life full and free. Will you say like that woman, give me this water?